Recently, I read what ended up being a very disturbing book. Um, it's called The Red Famine by a historian named Anne Applebaum, and it's about something called the Holodomor, which was a famine in Ukraine uh, from 1932 to 1933, and it killed millions of Ukrainians. And what made this famine particularly heartbreaking was that it was man-made. Um, all historians agree it was man-made. To some extent, um, Applebaum argued that um, the famine was actually engineered uh, from the very top of the Soviet Union, from Joseph Stalin, to eliminate what he perceived as a threat to Soviet power, Ukrainian nationalism. And so some four million souls perished. Sadly, the Holodomor is but one of many, perhaps countless, numbers of possible examples of the presence of evil and sin in human history. In fact, we don't have to even look at history. We can just turn on the news and see that sin is alive and well. Or better yet, if we're honest and we examine our own lives, our hearts, our souls, we can find it there too. Might, might get us to ask this question, what exactly is wrong with the world? What is wrong with us? It is sin. Any attempt to ignore the reality of sin or to... Um, give this dark reality some other name would be futile. Because today, Good Friday reminds us of the reality of sin, that there is something gravely wrong with the world. You know, since the fall of our first parents, sin has entered the world. And all the children of Adam and Eve, all of us, all the people down through the ages have been born with the stain of original sin. What that means is that we are born in a state of enmity with God. That word enmity, it means being an enemy of. We are born in the state of being an enemy of God. That's strong language, but it's true. And we can see the presence of original sin in our lives, in history, in the events of the day. Or we can look to that first Good Friday for the reality of sin. We can see sin, the reality of sin, in the cast of characters who plotted and carried out Christ's execution. You know, first we see the high priests and the Pharisees, the keeper of the law, keepers of the law, of the revelation of the one true God. When God himself became man, the people on earth who most should have recognized it were blinded by their sin. The high priests, the learned men of Israel... Instead, when they encountered our Lord, they quarreled with him at every turn, tried to discredit him with every question. Ultimately, they plot against him, deciding they need to take his life. In their pride, they put themselves in the place of God, wanting to determine for themselves what is good and evil, right and wrong, true and false. In their pride, they refused to listen to Jesus because, after all, what can a carpenter from Nazareth teach the most learned men in Israel about. Secondly, we see the Romans. At the time of Christ's passion, Rome, the Roman Empire, was at its height of powers. It was an empire unlike any the world had ever seen, and it was one that prided itself on rule of law. We might look at some Roman practices as brutal today 
And maybe we'd be justified, we would be justified in some cases, but the Roman legacy to the Western world is its legal tradition. And yet, for all their love of justice and the rule of law, we see the Roman, Pontius Pilate, cynically ask, what is truth? As he washes his hands of the affair and gives into the demands of the crowd. Is this Roman justice? I mean, Pontius Pilate, in him we see a coward, a timid man who is afraid or unwilling or probably both to stand up for what is true, what is good, and what is right. We see someone who would rather compromise what is moral so as to save his prestige, his career, even if it meant an innocent man must die. And lastly, maybe most tragically, we see the poor and common people to whom Jesus preached the good news. The crowds of people who five days before had greeted him with shouts of joy, yelling out Hosanna to the son of David, proclaiming him the long-crucified, uh, excuse me, the long-awaited Messiah King. Now they shout, crucify him. The crowd that once hailed Christ as king turns into a violent mob. And this mob, like all mobs, was ruled by rumor and innuendo. They were tossed into a frenzied moral panic created by the Pharisees with their false and trumped-up charges, leading ultimately to the crowd choosing Barabbas, a revolutionary. Other accounts call him a murderer over Christ. The sin of the crowd is the sin of one who is too afraid to go against the grain, but would rather go along to go, get along. In these three examples, we see one picture, one snapshot of what is wrong with the world. We see sin. Of course, it's not exhaustive. There are lots of other sins, lots of other evils, but these events culminating in the crucifixion, they show us the ugliness of sin the ugliness of what's wrong with the world. Nevertheless, despite the ugliness of what happened on this day, we call it good. Today is called good because God so loved us, even in our sin and our nastiness and our thick-headed pride, that he sent his only begotten son so that we might have life and have it abundantly. God sent his son to become a man like us in all things but sin to reconcile us to himself, and the way that he would do this was through the cross. Jesus was obedient unto death, and thus he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our sins. He took upon himself the chastisement that makes us whole. And while the cross does show us the ugliness of sin, it also shows us something even more incredibly beautiful. The cross shows us precisely how much God loves us. I want to read from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, where he writes this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, 
Having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Remember that because of original sin, we were born in a state of enmity with God, of being his enemies. While Christ comes to die for us, those of us in a state of enmity with God, to reconcile us. As we heard in the gospel today, one of the soldiers thrust his lance into Christ's side and immediately blood and water flowed out. That water and blood which flowed from Christ's pierced size symbolize the sacraments which apply this victory Christ won for us to our soul. And in particular, the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist. The cleansing waters of baptism wash away the state of original sin, giving us a new birth of water in the Spirit so that we are no longer sons and daughters born in enmity to God. We are sons and daughters of God, his adopted sons and daughters in Christ. We go from being in a state of enmity with him to being in a state of friendship with him. And then the Holy Eucharist, represented in our gospel by the blood that poured forth from Christ's side, This preserves and strengthens our union with God that begins at baptism. It nourishes us just as good food nourishes our physical bodies. So the Eucharist nourishes this supernatural life within us, uh, keeping our friendship with God healthy and strong. Ultimately, the cross shows us what's wrong with the world because the cross shows us sin in all its ugliness. The cross also shows us something even incredibly more beautiful, the tremendous love God has for us, that he loved us even while we were still his enemies. Yes, there's something wrong with the world. Yes, there's something evil, something ugly, and its name is sin. But God is infinitely stronger than sin, and he loves us so much that he bore the way to the cross for you and for me. Today, on this Friday that we call good, let us approach that holy cross and venerate the wood upon which our salvation was won.